welcome to VB Engage episode 30. My name is Stuart Rogers and I'm with VentureBeat. And I am joined as ever by the author of Digital Sense, the marketing technology genius that is Travis Wright. Travis, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing awesome, Mr. Rogers. Thank you kindly for asking. Uh, it is the day after Thanksgiving, so I'm still kind of full. Uh, I would imagine so. I, I have seen nothing but food all over my Instagram and Snapchat and everything. Uh, just basically all my American friends gorging themselves <laughs> on pie after pie after pie. And then eating whole turkeys, uh, some of them deep fried, I might yes. say, which uh, is kind of an interesting thing yeah, to I've watch. Yeah, I've not tried the deep fried turkey, but we did have some turkey. And I don't know what it is. The tryptophan really does get you with that turkey. I took an epic <laughs> nap yesterday. And what was great about Thanksgiving this year was that we made Thanksgiving great again by not talking politics. <laughs> Very good choice. Very good choice. <laughs> and that, that whole deep-frying turkey thing, I mean, it looks like people are lo lowering a turkey into what seems to be a sort of destroyer ship shell casing. Uh, <laughs> you know. Full of hot <laughs> grease, yes. Yeah, like this massive, great big silver thing that looks like a bullet. And you're dropping a turkey into it. Although I have seen some uh, videos online of where people get that wrong and it just turns into a massive fireball and they don't have a porch anymore. So you, you do have to be careful with that stuff. Yeah. I mean, seriously, here's a thing that you're going to use one time a year, pretty much. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's my deep fried turkey thing. Well, well, that takes up a whole, whole lot of space, doesn't it? <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a traditionalist when I cook turkey, which is, you know, at, at uh, Christmas time here in the UK. Uh, I do that in a good old-fashioned oven and roast it. Don't like this amazing. whole deep-frying thing. It sounds, uh, sounds a bit nasty yes. to me. So, and actually, today is Black Friday, and I don't think my inbox has enough email yet. Yeah, I mean, I'm in the UK, where, of course, we have basically taken on Black Friday as our own over here, too. And, uh, yeah, I've just basically spent most of my day clicking email after email after email, not reading any of them, uh, because it says Black Friday in the subject line. I've been able to just create a little rule, select the whole lot, and archive them without reading them, uh, because I'm just not interested. Just need to auto-unsubscribe to them. <laughs> I, lo I love it. So you're getting text too, on, uh, on Black Friday, huh? I got a text message. I don't know about you, but uh, when I get a text message, and it says at the end of it, opt out by replying stop, I kind of want the text messages to stop after that, right? Don't you? Yeah, it seems like they should stop when you ask them to stop. I only got two extra text messages saying, thank you for telling us to stop. <laughs> we, we are confirming that you want to stop. <laughs> at this point, nice. at this point, I'm now marking you as spam. Yes, I'm. I'm actually considering going to Ofcom and reporting you. Uh, <laughs> you know, message message to everybody who sends out emails after you unsubscribe or text messages after you stop. Just stop. Don't do that thing where you say, "Hey, thanks for unsubscribing. We really want to just confirm that you unsubscribed and." Your unsubscribe has been confirmed, so thanks for unsubscribing, yes. you unsubscriber. Yes, and then oh, it's official now. Your unsubscribe is officially unsubscribed. Thank you. Thank you for the yeah. extra, extra messages. And uh, don't be that company that sends the one that says your unsubscribe will happen in the next 48 hours and will confirm when it does and then send me another email in two days. <laughs> These don't are be great best people. practices, people. These are awesome. It's good stuff. <laughs> 
Uh, so hey, look, we've got uh, we've got an amazing guest coming up later on. Um, we're going to be speaking with Jesse Hanley. But uh, what's been going on in the news this week? There's been a lot of stuff going on in the news, right? Depending on which section of news that you're paying attention to. But we are in the tech space, and uh, some interesting stuff along the lines with uh, app intelligence startup Apptopia. Uh, it raised $2.7 million from the one and only Ashton Kutcher and Mr. Mark Cuban and a few other people. Pretty interesting. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, there's there's a few players in that space, uh, but Apptopia looks really interesting. You know, I, I've used uh, App Annie before to get app stats. Um, there's Sensor Tower, right, which I know you've mm-hmm. used. Oh, you like, yeah, I like Sensor Tower. It's you know, weird, Apptopia. though. I, can, I, I have a hard time remembering that name for some reason, though. It's like literally whenever I want to go pull analytics from Sensor Tower, I'm going... What is the name of that site? It's taken me as many as seven minutes at one time to try to remember what the hell the name of that site was. I don't. I have no idea why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of these services around. I think Aptopia looks like a really interesting one. Um, that's a decent amount of funding to get them to the next level and, and get them, you know, in a competitive situation. I mean, obviously, you know, AppAnnie is the is the site that pretty much I think typically everybody goes to. But it has some interesting things that make it stand out. It's and it's got a great design. I love it when sites that, you know, pull out statistics and data and information really do a decent job of laying that out beautifully for you because, you know, if you just throw numbers at a screen and, and throw, you know, basically like a spreadsheet at the screen, that can just be so draining in terms of actually understanding what is in front of you. So it's nice when you look at Aptopia that they've gone to the trouble of, of making it look a little bit more like a, an infographic and it's very smart and slick and, you know, 21st century, right, which is nice. It'd be interesting to see how it plays out and how well they do against the competition. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating when you go in there and you can see activity for each particular app, the usage, the downloads and revenue, current and historical ranks, the SDKs that are available about it. And start a free seven-day trial, you can get all kinds of information on multiple different apps. It's pretty fascinating. Yeah, and for you know, for those of the, our listeners that you know, obviously are in the app world, you know, developers and publishers and marketers, you know, it's another great place for you to go where you can get all the stats and facts on your apps, on competitors' apps. Um, you know, really understand the space around you. I can't say enough times that you know, when you're going to go ahead and launch something, that you really, really need to go and have a look at everybody around your space because we're we're in a world where. You've got a couple of thousand apps launched daily. Now, truthfully, the vast majority of those daily launches across the iOS and Android stores um, are just clones of apps, and you know it's just somebody trying to make a fast buck on advertising. Um, you know, it's someone out of China or somewhere else or in the Eastern Bloc countries, and they've basically got these things running that just keep on cloning apps, cloning apps, cloning apps until they get a hit. But there are like two or 300 legitimate apps that get launched every single day. You have to really know your space if you're going to win in an environment that is that competitive. And tools like this are great for doing that. One of the things that I like about this is, is it's showing all the various different apps and all the various different top, the, the different ones. Right now, I found a fast fascinating because it's, it's going to tie into our next story here, is that the number one uh, ranked iOS app currently for free is Bitmoji, and the number two one is Snapchat, and number six is Instagram. So yes. I love Bitmoji. Yes. Bitmojis are hilarious, and it's interesting to me. It must be because it was Thanksgiving, and people were sharing their Bitmojis back and forth. I'm like, well, what is this? And Because it, it raised up quite a little bit uh, from yesterday to today, so it must be the Thanksgiving bump. And, of course, who owns Bitmoji? Snapchat. 
Snap Inc. nowadays. Snap Inc. That is true. Yes, yes. And I actually met the CEO of Bitmoji in Lisbon at one of those uh, networking party things. And he said he is going to make update Bitmojis so that they can have a goatee like mine. Because he really liked my goatee. So there's going to be a... <laughs> I can either confirm tonight if this is actually going to happen because he may have been drunk at the time. But I, I really would like to have my own goatee. That'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I uh, can't imagine. I mean, you know, I've often I've often wondered, like, if I can pull strings with some of my video game contacts to, like, get me in a video game. But, uh, <laughs> uh, get your goatee in. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. That's, that's, that's too much, man. That's too much. Uh, I don't think the world's he, ready for he that. He offered. I didn't even ask. He offered. <laughs> he loved my goatee that much. He goes, we need to have better goatees, I think, after seeing your goatee. That's amazing. <laughs> when your time is up, sir, you'll have left your mark on the world. I guess so. That's good. <laughs> Glad to hear it. So, look, um, it's a good thing we're talking about that. It's a good thing we're talking about uh, Bitmoji and Snapchat and Instagram because, of course, Instagram have been added again. Uh, good old Facebook. Facebook have been doing their, if we can't buy them, let's copy the hell out of them again. And they have been upgrading Instagram again. Now, they've been upgrading all of the Snapchat copy features, um, and they've been adding even more Snapchat copy features. So, you know, it's it's almost an exact carbon copy of Snapchat at this point. Mm. <laughs> but they've now taken on Periscope. It hasn't rolled out to everybody just yet, uh, but it has rolled out to a few because I've already seen some of them in my Instagram. Mm. But they have added live streaming to Instagram. So Instagram is now trying to be uh, effectively Flickr and Periscope and Snapchat all in one app. And, of course, all the chatter on the Internet has been, is Instagram going to kill everybody? What's your thoughts? Instagram's a great, great platform. And I don't know that my strategy on Instagram is the best one. Because I've become more sort of photo snob. Like, I'll take a bunch of photos, and then I'll only edit. Like, we went to Lisbon. I think I posted two photos from that that I thought were, like, super awesome photos. I'm like, all right. So a lot of people are like, all right, I need to post one a day and whatnot. But I think that it's, it's, it's quite possible that, yeah, a lot of people, particularly from Vine, the Viners, they have left Vine because Vine's closing down. They're setting up shop on Instagram and YouTube and Snapchat, but the majority of them all were sharing their Instagram, you know, username. The, when the big content creators are coming there and that's where they're, that's where they're living. I think you got to pay attention. And now with the start live video, you know, these videos can be live for up to an hour and they're notated as live under their profile video. So you can see that in that stories bar. And I think that's fascinating. Now, just the other day, I was on Snapchat and did a live video direct message back and forth. We basically did a video chat like like FaceTime, and it worked phenomenally. I was talking to a buddy of mine who lives in Hong Kong and going back and forth about some business stuff. And literally, I just snap videoed him and it was live. So that was awesome. So I don't think Instagram has that yet. But if they have these other capabilities, then, you know, that's not too far away from that happening, right? Right. You know, and it's it's kind of interesting to me that there's a whole bunch of people that are talking about Instagram taking everything over and killing Snapchat off. I mean, let's be honest, you know, in terms of monthly active users, uh, you know, they both have huge bases and they both have different demographics still, although older people are getting into Snapchat now, you know, even people as old as me. Snapchat does skew still towards a younger audience. Instagram skews towards a slightly older audience. It's almost one of those kind of Apple versus Android 
or if you want to go back in the history of time, you know, we've had all of these battles all over the years. You know, it used to be Amiga versus Atari ST, right? <laughs> it's been this way since time immemorial, Xbox versus PlayStation. You get these people that are just like rabid fans of the one and they'll never use the other and they won't yeah. cross over. Another feature they have now is that Instagram Direct where those photos and videos can be sent that disappear after they've been accessed. So again, another sort of Snapchatty stolen feature. Right. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out. But you've got to bear in mind just the one extra thing that is happening in the world. And also just the difference in the way that the two companies market you know, themselves. So I don't know if you've seen this online. And, and you know, please, listeners, go Google this. But if you've seen the difference between the Facebook Live buses and billboards and the Snapchat marketing. Facebook Live has got all of these instructions on the side of a bus. It's like, first click here, then click there, and now you're live, and you're doing this, and it's all really busy, and there's buttons, and mm. it's like a it's like a three-step program. I mean, it's almost like uh, Alcoholics Anonymous on the side of a bus, <laughs> right? And hopefully you caught and it real quick while it drove by, and you read everything. Snapchat's advertising is just a great big yellow box with an eye on it, right? <laughs> it's like, we just need to put that out because you know what it is, right? And it's it, this chalk and cheese, right? There's on the one side, you've got here's a list of instructions. On the other side, it's just ah, Snapchat. We already know you know how to use it. Kind of interesting to see the different approaches. But here's yeah. the big thing, right? Don't forget, we've got a Snapchat IPO coming up. Anyone yep. that thinks that Instagram is going to kill Snapchat when they have a few extra billion in their pocket after their IPO, um, they have a war chest. Be very, very wary of predicting Snapchat's demise at the hands of Instagram because, mm -hmm. you know, it's going to be really, really interesting. And I, I see interesting futures available. I mean, there's a lot of people out there who like live streaming. There's a whole community of people who are doing incredibly well on live streaming. They have a lot of options available to them right now. I do not see any one platform at this moment in time taking the entire lead. I think you're going to see people continuing to use different platforms for different purposes. What do yeah. you think? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, don't just look at Snap Inc. as an app anymore. They're becoming a hardware company. They are taking on GoPro, right, in a lot of ways. They're doing some interesting things. And their marketing campaigns with doing that, you know, the spectacle bots and putting those in different places. And people are talking about it. It's a really cool sort of a buzzy thing to do before you have an IPO, right? So, right. and then traditionally, you know, people who are investing in IPOs are, are some of the older crowd, but you know what? I guarantee you that with all the people who are on Snapchat and, and their parents and they're, oh, should we invest in this Snap Inc. thing? What is this, Jimmy? Should we do it? It's going to be interesting. We're going to get these, going to get this older demographic up on there. And uh, because I, that happened whenever Facebook, Travis, what do you think? Should I put money in this Facebook thing? And I was like, well, their ad platform has taken off. So I, yeah, probably a good idea. So who knows? I think their ads are their ads are picking up. I mean, their ads are not that painful to watch to me. It's like we're scrolling through and watching the stories, and oh, there's an ad. It's not obnoxious. It's expensive, right? So, but yeah, we're gonna see. It's gonna be interesting to see. I think that they they've got the user base. They're starting to do more stuff with advertising. They're morphing more towards also doing hardware stuff. And who knows? There's probably other apps that are gonna be in the pipeline as well down the road from them. We shall see. It should be an interesting IPO. It's going to be very, very interesting. There's that all going on in the world. And, of course, you'll be able to use Apptopia or AppAnnie or SensorTower or any of the other solutions to see the continuing battle between Snapchat 
and Instagram and all of their other properties like Bitmoji. Because uh, right now, if you look at it from just an app standpoint, um, Snap Inc. is uh, is doing the better job. Um, we'll see if Instagram uh, can take over a little bit. But uh, I think once all that money comes in, you know, it's going to be a, a tough ask for them. Yeah, uh, I'm, we'll betting, I'm betting on Snapchat because they have Bitmoji that's going to have Travis Goatees. So, I mean, that's that's just a, a, a bump up for them. I think unwittingly, you probably just added an extra billion to their IPO with your uh, goatee. I'm going to have to let them know. I'm going to have to go talk to Evan. Maybe ask for 1% or something. Yeah. See what happens. <laughs> Throw me some crumbs, bro. <laughs> Good stuff. So we're going to get into our guest interview. Uh, after all of that lovely news, it is the one and only Jesse Hanley. Uh, so uh, should we get started, Travis? Let's do it. Right, ladies and gentlemen, we have a great guest with us today. We're going to be talking about mobile gaming. This is awesome. We have Jessie Hanley with us. She's the vice president and product marketing and customer experience at GSN Games. So, ladies and gentlemen, give a warm VB Engage welcome to Jessie. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Quite a welcome. Well, it's absolutely awesome to have you here, Jessie. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, last time we spoke. You were on one of our VB Live webinars, and right. uh, we were talking about mobile monetization. Those two words um, normally uh, could be replaced by instant narcolepsy because they cause everybody to fall <laughs> asleep. One of the things which I was really keen on was the fact that we, we really didn't just like talk about mobile monetization that much. What we talked about was how you get high-value users to come and use your app and how those high value users tell all their friends about your app and how they stay with you longer and how they spend more money. And, you know, I, I think these days there's, there's a lot of strain on marketers and especially the CMOs mm -hmm. to just go with the lowest common denominator and get as many users in as humanly possible and like try and make the charts and hope that they've got <laughs> hockey stick growth off the back of that. But, you know, let's talk a little bit more about how you actually attract and why you should attract high quality users and, and what they can do for you in your, uh, your app or your game. Well, you know, I, I think you hit on something really important that when you have great users, they tell their friends when they love the product, they go out and they and they get more people to try your game. And that is the best way to get the customer, because when they come in, you've got someone telling them already that it's great. And there's sort of an expectation setting. Uh, and I think that that's a really important way to look at things. You You need to say to yourself. How can I make sure how I go out and get these people and what I tell them about the product and how I set the expectation for what the experience will be is matched once they get there? And I, I think that that is on the responsibility of the marketing team, making sure that where you're looking for your customers isn't only in the traditional places, making sure that your ads align with what you see when you first get there, um, making sure that you're just being consistent and being really setting the stage for what the for what your new users can expect. And then they're going to be far more likely to be happy and to stick around. I mean, of course, we all want the, you know, super whale that comes in right away. But those are really hard to find. And there's always this question, do you create whales? Or are they already or do they already exist? Can you make one? And I actually am of the school of thought that you can, if you give a really great experience, and you're constantly improving, you can you can create whales because they love your product, not simply because you're giving them a, a sale but that they're loyal to you. And I think that that's a, a really great way to approach building high-value customers. Coincidentally, uh, Travis's nickname at school was Super Whale. Isn't that right, Travis? Oh, nice. That's true. How did you know? It's like, uh, did you go to my school? 
Are you a bully that picked on me in school? <laughs> so yeah, so I, I want to actually ask a question around customer experience. So you are actually doing product marketing and customer experience. You're mm-hmm. merging merging the two, which I think is brilliant. I actually have a book coming out in December called Digital Sense, which talks about customer experience very heavily and social business mm. strategy and marketing technology. And so I want I want to you know get your perspective about how maybe there's some a mobile developer right now thinking about how they want to build their app and how should they be looking at customer experience? How should mobile game developers and people who are creating and maybe even marketing these What's the foundation of a good customer experience for a game on a mobile device? And how do you go about what, what methodology do you have to sort of uncover that that journey? How important is it? I'll answer that question first. It should be your everything. You know, I, I think that the experience is the product. Um, I've done a talk on that in GDC. It's all about the experience. Everything is a world that you are trying to bring your customer into. And you want to make sure that you're revealing the right thing at the right time, that you're not asking someone to marry you right away. You know, I think that you should ask yourself the question, is this the right time to be asking for push notification uh, permissions, for example? If you haven't loaded the app yet, does that make sense? Would you really want push notification before you know if you like the app? These are the types of questions that you need to be asking. And some of the processes that I've been really fortunate to work through is really becoming a true partner with the game design teams. I think that that is a great place to start. So when the teams are doing their ideation and when we're starting to think about what the product is and who the market will be, having those conversations happen, including your marketing team, can really to be what I refer to as the difference between good and great. If from the very beginning, your marketing team understands what's being accomplished and what the developers think are great about the game, that gets us on the right path to start thinking about, okay, how can we make sure that we're sharing this with the customers? What's, is this confusing? How can we help overcome any, any challenges for, um, you know, explaining what the new feature is and so on. And so all the way through the process, if the marketing team is there hand in hand, you really, um, you really wind up with, a, I think, a better product. And to me, that is customer experience. Marketing helps move the customer through the entire experience. It's how you say it. It's what you say. It's your first-time user experience, making sure that people are not just kind of left to figure it out, but don't feel like they're so constricted that they can't make choice. It's a delicate balance. And like working together to make sure that you're understanding what the desired outcome is and then reflecting that in your marketing messaging, in the experience flow, in how you're bringing people in, really makes a, gr- a much better product. Preach on, girl. <laughs> Preach, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Witness. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> a couple of things. I mean, we did some research at, at VB Insight, which is the, the research arm of VentureBeat. You know, we showed categorically that most companies do not have their marketing and their engineering or development teams in line with each other, and they are not talking to each other. And you know, even just like simple little things, like the marketing team will go to the engineering team and say, hey, can you just make this five-minute change? Not knowing that a five-minute change is going to take six weeks to implement because right. right, there's a current sprint, there's a planned sprint, and then they can get your five-minute change into the one after that, right? And, of course, it's not a five-minute change because that five-minute change might break everything. So you've got regression testing and everything else to figure out first to see if yeah. the five-minute change is going to even be feasible. And you know, these are difficult things for marketers to understand because marketers are dynamic people who just want to get out there and break through the wall and find the find the soft point, just go for it, right? 
How does that work in the real world? My career has been a little bit um, abnormal for a marketer. So I actually started in front-end web development, then I was in product, and then I moved into marketing. And so my understanding of what's involved is maybe a little bit different than the average marketer. So I think it does give me a little bit more of an understanding on exactly what you're saying. I mean, giving infinite time and resources, I know that we're going to do everything, but what do we do first? I mean, it, even just simply in prioritization, the five minute change that we want could wind up being that we don't get a new level in the game. Those are the types of trade-offs that I think it's important for just on both sides for you to have your eyes open on. You need to understand that it's never just one thing. If you add one thing in, something falls out the bottom and really being honest with yourself and asking, is this thing I'm asking for more important than what's falling out the bottom? I think that you have to look at it for what's the best thing for the whole game, not just what's the best thing for marketing or what's the best thing for the monetization team. You really need to be thinking about the overall, like I said, experience. You know, I, I think that in a lot of organizations, marketing tends to get the content just kind of thrown over the fence. Okay, now go market this thing that's done and, and you can do that, but it's not nearly as effective as when you're really hand in hand and you're building a relationship with the team. And that takes time and it takes maybe makes things take a little bit longer for the process, but it's worth the effort in my opinion. Yeah, marketing as an, oh, by the way, doesn't seem to work as much. <laughs> we had a conversation just the other day around VR and, and mobile advertising or VR advertising mm -hmm. or advertising in augmented reality. And so I think this would be a great time just to sort of touch base with you and see like, you know, maybe what is GSN doing around VR? And then as an aside, I'd really just love to know, like, what do you think advertising and marketing is going to be like within these VR and augmented reality experiences? I'm excited. I'm cautiously optimistic. I mean, I think that the possibilities are endless. I think creating an immersive experience, I mean, what is better than VR? You're surrounded by it. Uh, and there's so much movement in the space right now. It's just, it's really exciting. I do worry a little bit that it's going to wind up being just, you know, throw products into VR experiences on your counter. There will be a can of soda, for example. So I really do hope that everyone, including marketers, advertisers, everybody really tries to do something that's different and unique and adds value when you throw advertising into um into VR, not just plop something in there. So my hope is that what winds up happening is more interactive experiences, more trial of product through a VR experience, as opposed to just plopping like a, an image on the side. Um, and I hope that they leverage all of the all of the technology, not just, you know, like a television commercial or YouTube that just gets thrown in. I really hope that that, that happens. For us, you know, we're interested in it. We're, we're watching it. We've, you know, it's definitely, we have our our YouTube, our different, um, you know, VR glasses downstairs and we are there. It's something we're keeping an eye on. Um, we have no very specific plans that we're really to talk about about what we want to do next, but it's something that I think there's lots of, in the game space, I mean, how could it not be what, what everyone is excited about. It's just, we all can't wait to see if it stops making people fully, if it makes mass appeal, if everyone starts having these things, it could change everything. So yeah, absolutely. I think in terms of where we go with VR um, mm -hmm. and ultimately with um, mixed reality or augmented reality, depending on what you want to call it, or if you're Intel, you're calling it merged reality, just to throw some extra shade in there. Because there's not um, enough names of things. Yeah. <clears throat> let's, let's just... <laughs> Let's name it all the things. But, um, you know, I think when we're talking about VR and eventually, you know, AR slash MR, 
you know, there is just a huge marketplace out there. I think, you know, realistically, games and the entertainment industry are going to be the the, the, the first ports of call sure. and are going to be the things that make it mainstream. Probably the money will then be in business applications eventually, and that's where right. the bigger marketplace is. But, you know, I think there's a chance here for, for games to really drive the agenda and, you know, put VR on everyone's minds. So yeah. it's going to be a really interesting space. And uh, how we react to that in terms of advertising and marketing is going to be uh, incredibly important. So, um, yeah, it's going to be fun to watch. Because it's so early and because we don't know how it's going to shake out. I think this is a time for us in this industry to be experimental, to try new things, things that aren't so obvious, you know, to be working with different organizations and really being open to something that might not be clearly 100% figured out yet. Now, I remember ages ago when they first started doing video ads and there was no players and it was a disaster. Like You have to work through that. And it, it's up to us as, you know, on, on the side of both the marketing, the marketing management, who has to make the decisions on what budgets we want to spend and the tech people being willing to put in the effort. Like we don't know. And so we're going to have to be okay with that and try and test and help move this forward. Someone's got to be first. So. Absolutely. Um, Jesse, we could talk about this stuff for absolutely ages, but we can't because we have a time limit on this. So um, I'm afraid we're going to have to draw it to a close for now. But uh, this has been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for being a guest on VB Engage today. Thank you for having me. Thanks again. We really appreciate you jumping on the show. Great stuff. Great interview. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, also, next week, we are going to actually begin our Web Summit series with our interview with the one and only Alan Schaff, of, uh, the CEO of Imager. Uh, we had some technical issues this week getting that uh, audio over to us, so we will do that next week. And also, if you missed last week, we had Seth Besmertnik with us, and we talked SEO and content and quality and how why that's important. Uh, that was a great, great interview as well. So, uh, with that, this is episode 30, and this is Travis Wright, and goodbye. And from Stuart Rogers, it's Dada. We'll see you guys next week.